Hello, hello, uh, hello, and welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude, and with me all the way across the universe is Andy. Say hi, Andy. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Welcome to the show, everyone. It is the Album Nerds Podcast. On this week's show, we're talking about our essential country and jazz projects <laughs> that we've been doing. <laughs> it's like the I longest like- sentence in the history of the show. Yeah, anyway, so we're doing another, another installment in our essential country and jazz project we've been doing the last uh, few months here. We both picked out a record in the genre that we think kind of essential listening for uh, fans of the genre and we're going to uh, break into them in some depth today for your listening pleasure yeah they love it Ooh. they love it andy people love this segment they uh, really do. It, is, it is one of our popular segments so we are we're trying to do it once a month so we got a country record and a jazz record country record is from like the what the early 70s 1970 so yes, the very early. So. Good. Can't get much earlier than that. And let me see. The, the jazz record is from the early 2010s, 2011, I believe. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into it, man. You ready? Central country. Yeah. Man, that really that gets me pumped, man. Uh, no one can see me, but I'm doing some sort of bizarre jig, trying not to pull my headphones out of my computer right now. All right, I chose Chris Christofferson as my as one of my first older uh, country statesmen. He just turned 81 years old recently, and uh, his first album was called Christofferson. According to Andy, it should have been called Rofferson. What'd you say? <laughs> just Tofferson. Because he already got the Chris Tofferson. in his first name. Just, so it should have been simplifies. Chris Christopherson. Just Tofferson. Tofferson yeah. should have been the name of this album. Um, it- maybe they can reprint it and get it right. <laughs> now, uh, I'm going to play a cut from this, and then we'll talk a little bit about about it. Chris Christopherson was a songwriter for a lot of other artists first before he made this record. So a lot of these songs have been recorded by other artists. So we're going to jump in to the first song I want to talk about. You might know it. You might not have heard it with this guy's voice, but you definitely know the song. It's me and Bobby Amagee. Took us all away to New Orleans. I took my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana and was blowing sad while Bobby sang the blues. With them windshield wipers slapping time and Bobby clapping hands, we finally sang a the song that driver knew. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing. Definitely a different take on the popular Janis Joplin version, which um, 
I some of the reading I did was that they were actually dating uh, when she recorded the song. But what what were you saying, Andy? You had done a little bit of research on it as well. And and what album was that on for Janice? That's on Pearl, 1971 release. My personal favorite Joplin record. Um, she she passed away in the year between Chris's album here and when Pearl was finally released later the next year. Um, yeah, it was like it was a number one hit for Janice, and it actually. Chris ended up re-releasing this record under the title Me and Bobby McGee based on the success Janice had with uh, with her single. Yeah, it was a really influential song for both of them. And it's a cool, it's a, it's a great song. I kind of like this version, like you were saying earlier um, when we were talking before the show, it's a little easier to understand the lyrics in his kind of simplified, uh, slowed down version here. And uh, he does a nice job with kind of the inflection in his voice and getting across uh, some of the melancholy that, that is part of the lyrics. What did you expect? What did you think when you first heard this? Did you have any idea that that was not her composition? No, nah, I mean, I just assumed it was. I, I guess I had no reason to think otherwise. But so many of these songs, you know, they get passed around and you never really know where they originated from. And as is the case with a lot of songs on this record, there's like, what, one, two, three, four five songs that were covered by other people uh, either before or after the release of this record. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's obviously uh, very well known for being a, an excellent songwriter. Yeah, and I think that's something that people who even know the guy's name, Chris Christopherson, maybe just think of him as an actor. He was in a lot of movies in the 60s and 70s as well as the Blade movies. <laughs> Those are good movies. Anyway, anyway, uh, anyway. yeah, he... Yeah, uh, Chris was Whistler in those movies, and he was awesome. He was an ass-kicking, long-haired, gun-toting dude, and he was a vampire hunter. Very cool. Anyway, besides the acting, prolific songwriter, all the songs on this record, Christofferson, not Tofferson, <laughs> I re- it's very poetic. I think some of his phrasing and stuff is really blew me away and I was the way I found this was looking up greatest country albums of all time and on multiple lists this one kept coming up and it was mostly about the way that the songs are written the mm-hmm. lyrics what did you think of the lyrics it's that 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 kind of space and country that I enjoy that we've talked about you know that kind of outlaw down your luck got a one hand around a woman and the other hand around a bottle of gin or something and you know it's it's fun in that space but uh i was a little surprised by the music actually and a few of these tracks have more of like a rock a rock and roll side to them uh yes. especially the opening cut in particular kind of surprised me uh blame it on the stones it's like almost a rock and roll song yeah and i think it's a rock and roll song about a rock and roll band i think it's referring to the rolling stones and kind of poking fun at society at the time coming down on the youth music and what it was mm. doing to society. Strong I mean, what culture did you, and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of that song? I know we meant you talked to me about it before the show. I don't it's not one of my favorites on the album, but it's interesting. Sonically definitely not what I ex- would expect. And thematically it wasn't what one would expect either. I'm not you know, I'm not sure if he's on their side or not, you know? I know. I know. It didn't really fit in with the rest of the record. That was interesting. I liked it, but it kind of set up kind of a false pretense for what the rest of the record is going to sound like, I thought. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I think he does a lot with his voice and the way he presents these. He doesn't have like, he's not 
Janis Joplin kind of voice where it's just overpowering you with uh, the strength of it. But uh, he does have a lot of like nice inflection in his voice where he kind of gets across his, uh, the, the kind of heart and soul of what he's saying uh, very clearly. Yeah, it, it kind of has a Bob Dylan-y sound. Yeah, uh, totally. Sort of like... <laughs> Everybody rainy can. day women yeah yes, rainy exactly. day women number 12 and 35 right, everybody right. must get stoned but, yeah um the tambourine and all that in there yeah it, it, yeah i mean it's more of a folk album than a straight up i mean he's from texas but it it doesn't feel completely country i mean and, and some of the vocal parts i feel sound a little neil diamondy i don't know how you felt about that but I was just like, uh, just the, the, that sort of flat delivery, almost Mm. talking, but not quite like kind of singing, kind of talking, you know, but I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Me and Bobby McGee, I think is a really great country song, but, um, yeah, best of all possible worlds, I think was a, a really nice song. It kind of shows it, it's a, it, you show people who are convinced that country music is just for undereducated rednecks. But it has great rhymes and a, kind of a nice poetry to it and nice message. Um, Casey's Last Ride, I thought, was a standout track. Yeah, it's a kind of a fun uh, story type song. Kind of those like tall tale yeah. uh, qualities to it, which is always fun. Yep, very good. Darby's Castle, I thought, was really great songwriting. A, a love song told through the history of a castle. And yeah, there were just a lot of strong songs. Now, as I mentioned before, he started off as a songwriter. One of the first songs he sold was actually to Johnny Cash, and it was called Sunday Morning Coming Down. It's been recorded by a lot of artists. The thing is that I, the thing that I read about it is that there was a story that so he he was uh he was working as a Sweeping floors at Columbia Recording Studio in Nashville. Okay. Met June met June Carter. This was after he was out of the army. He left the army in like sixty five. He met June Carter, Johnny Cash's wife. He gave her a tape to give to Johnny. I guess it didn't get listened to. Weeks later, Christofferson landed a helicopter in Johnny Cash's front yard, and apparently, at the time, there was a story that. That got Johnny's attention. In the later interview, Christofferson maintained Cash was not at home when he landed the helicopter. He was a helicopter pilot. Uh, <laughs> he just happened to have a helicopter on hand. And- yeah, well, he he worked as a helic he worked as a helicopter pilot as well. So that was one of his other jobs. Uh, I forget. I think he was in <laughs> Louisiana wow. or something. Go back to Nashville to record and write music on the weekends, and then he was flying helicopters like charters and stuff. So apparently, Sunday morning came come down is one of the first uh, one of the first songs that got sold, and Johnny Cash did a version of it. I'm gonna play a little bit of Christofferson's uh, version right now. But I lit my first and watched a small kid cussing at a can that he was kicking. Then I crossed the empty street. Caught the Sunday smell of someone frying chicken And it took me back to something That I'd lost somehow Somewhere along the way On the Sunday morning sidewalk 
Uh, there's some production elements to this I'm not a big fan of. I like the simple stuff, and when they bring in the the backing singers and some of those elements, it didn't quite fit, I didn't think. But this album is very... It's not a downer, but it's definitely not like an uplifting, <laughs> you know, fun country album. It's a dark, sort of folk-infused album. Yeah, melancholy would be the word that comes to mind when I listen to it. Oh, melancholy, ooh. Gosh, this is more sophisticated vocabulary there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously it's a song about, you know, like after a night of partying and drinking, trying to uh, kind of pull yourself back together, deal with the world again. I guess he won an award for that one. And uh, based on, I think on Johnny Cash's recording of it. Uh, but yeah, apparently it, uh, the what I found was that there are songs supposedly that he's written that were recorded by 500 different people. Wow. That's now that has, that's gotta be inflated. I, I mean, but I got that from Rolling Stone magazine. They had a, a feature on him around the time he was turning 80. I recommend finding that online. It's a really interesting read uh, just about his history and all the people he knows and the people that he's lost, you know, Johnny Cash, for instance, you know, people in the music industry that he was friends with. He was a part of the Highwaymen, which was uh, formed in the 80s. It was like a super group of, it, it was sort of the him and Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. And mm-hmm. it was sort of, uh, you know, the whole outlaw country stuff. And he was a big part of that. His early stuff was, you know, a little folkier, but as time went on, he became one of the outlaws. So I just really think it's an interesting record. I'm glad I listened to it. I've listened to a lot of his other stuff because of it. And I've not, you know, I've always known he was a musician, but I've never really given a lot of listening time to uh, Chris Christopherson. So I enjoyed it. I I hope everyone out there can uh, dig it up and give it a listen. It's very interesting stuff, and it's a really it's nice to see the kind of the connections between other genres like that. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of cool hearing these kind of original versions of these songs. And he's somebody I've always kind of was wondering about. Curious about too, you know, fits fits nicely into that uh, that cash vibe that that I dig about country music. So good yep. pick, man. Good good listen for sure. Something to probably come Thanks. back to. Yeah, the follow up, the Silver Tongue Devil and I, seven, mm. 1971. That's a little bit more for my for my taste. That nails it a little bit more. That was his first hit album. So check that one out too. But uh, yeah, all right, Word man. Up. What do you got? <laughs> all right so i got a jazz record a little more modern this is from 2011 from an artist by the name of terry lee carrington she put out a record called the mosaic project which was just recently recognized by npr they put out this pretty interesting uh, list uh, last month the uh, top 150 albums made by women and this was amongst the ranks there um, i would highly recommend giving that list a quick uh, perusing if you haven't already um, there's a lot of cool stuff in there that I, I came across that i had kind of forgotten about or wasn't aware of from some uh, women-led groups throughout the uh it's mostly like the 60s 60s forward. There are a few older records in there, too. But anyway, um, Terry Lee Carrington is kind of a musician's musician. Uh, Her father was the president of the Boston Jazz Society, and she played with people like Dizzy Gillespie and B.B. King at the age of 10. Um, What? 
I know, right? Yeah. She's just kind of like born into that scene. She uh, started drumming at that age. Um, within a few years, she had earned a full scholarship to Berkeley College at age 11. And uh, she's now uh, a, a professor there at Berkeley. Um, she's a three-time Grammy winner, and she's played with jazz legends, the likes of Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, James Brown, Stevie Wonder, Stevie Wonder, and Joni Mitchell. She was also the house drummer on the Air City Hall Show. What? Really? Pretty fucking good resume, right? Well, I yeah, I I guess. You can, <laughs> that's good communicating, but uh, whatever. She was well known in the industry obviously to get that gig and playing with yeah. all those people have you ever heard of her before no i hadn't either no sir kind of ashamed that that's true but the name would not the name alone i would think it's a country lady honestly terry lee terry lynn carrington um yeah right yeah when you miss mentioned dizzy gillespie right are you familiar with him yeah like I remember when I was yeah watching him on TV when I was a kid, and he would puff his cheeks out when he played. Yeah, yeah. Supposed to keep, but he has his trademark kind of. I thought I thought it looked like he had potatoes in his cheeks, (laughs) like a or like a hamster or something. But that's amazing. Ten years old, she was playing with these guys. Yeah, yeah. I think her father's connections are kind of got her in with those people. But yeah, she started out really early and got really good really quickly. Um, she put out a whole bunch of records on her own, but this record stands out because it's kind of a collection of not only different artists, um, musicians, as well as kind of a blending of different styles, which is something that I've really grown to love about jazz. I think it does one of the best genres at kind of fusing these different elements with itself. Um, so this record has a lot of elements of... Um, R&B, hip-hop, and soul music. They actually cover a few soul tracks on here, as well as some... Uh, there's a Beatles song, too, actually, gets covered on this record, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Besides Terry Lynn, um, Esperanza Spalding plays bass on this, as well as some other uh, well-known female artists. All the artists on this record are female, which I think is pretty cool. They took the, took the kind of took it on themselves to uh, keep that as an important aspect of this music. Um, let's jump in before I talk too much and play one of these tracks here to give you a feel for it. This track was written by Terry Lynn, and it is called Magic and Music. feeling that man uh yeah i was a little confused vocally is it her doing vocals the whole time or is it different people because it's no i think on that track yes that is her i believe i think that's the only track she sings on the rest of it is kind of a revolving door of different vocalists there's quite a few i think i want to say there's like almost a dozen different vocalists on this record i i first of all i was shocked that it was a a jazz drummer that you picked. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I don't think uh, I said that so far. She's a drummer. <laughs> yeah. She's a drummer and a, and a writer. She writes, she writes a lot of this music. Um, 
I think you mentioned it in passing, but you didn't. Uh, you didn't. Uh, you know, heavily identify it. But that's really unique. Yeah. That's now, cool. I mean, there are there are known jazz drummers like uh, you know. Buddy Rich and guys like that, which, by the way, you should watch that guy play. My my God, his hands. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I was not sure what I was getting into here, and the tone of the songs are all very different. There were some that I just was like, yeah, and then there were others that I thought were really pleasant to listen to. So it was kind of a bit of a seesaw for me. What, I mean, what, how about you? Were you just blown away all the way through? No, what was your... this was like a slow grower for me, I would say. I was listening to maybe like a half dozen records at this time from this with okay. the sound on it. And this one slowly kind of presented itself. I think there's a lot of really strong songs. But as you said, it, it's kind of a mosaic. It's kind of a collage of different types of sounds. Yeah, It's not really, uh, you know, a straightforward one thing. Um, it's actually a cool quote from from terry lynn uh she said everything about this record is about making a larger picture out of many various elements i assembled several friends most of whom i've performed with in the past all of whom bring their own individual story to help me create the big picture which is exactly what a mosaic is you know kind of a collection of smaller pictures to create something larger and that's kind of what she's doing here there's like a the beatles uh song michelle is covered as a third track on here which i think is a sounds really cool it's a cool take on it as well as an Al Green song, which I had recognized, uh, Simply Beautiful, is about halfway through the record, which is sounds totally different than the Al Green version. But it's cool to hear um, some of those adaptations from very different genres. Yeah, I think what this the whole mosaic thing is what makes this enjoyable to listen to is even if you're not uh, buying in on every single song. There are some quality stuff in between. I mean, to the point where Michelle, I I barely recognized it. I know. Besides like the little vocal at the beginning, it's not super. Yeah. The melody isn't very yeah. recognizable. Yeah. Which I think is, is cool. Uh, I, I, I did like this. I didn't cringe like I do with many, many of your picks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty accessible but, in terms of jazz music goes. Yes. It's not uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's not super overly technical by any means. It's obviously played by fantastic musicians, but it's not very uh flowery, I guess I would say. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's definitely kind of the vibe going on here, like kind of woman empowerment and uh, breaking down some of those barriers is seems to be what they're going after. They did a whole lot of uh, video production or promotion around this record. So if you check it out on YouTube, there's lots of good footage of the band kind of just talking interview style as well as as playing together. That's pretty compelling stuff. Uh, Let's play that Al Green cut track six here. Uh, Simply Beautiful. Nice vibe going there. 
kind of a nice relaxing take on that song. Dig it. Yeah. A lot of, lot of personnel on this record, so that's that's interesting, too. Lots of vocalists. Yeah. Some names I recognize, many I don't, but that doesn't mean that they're not known to somebody. So. Yeah, lots of vocalists change now, but the, the core band, I think there's, I want to say, five, five of them. Um, they play on, on pretty much all the tracks and play it really well together. There's some some really tight tight uh, musicianship going on here. Actually, uh, won the Grammy in 2011 for best vocal jazz album. Uh, were you going to say something? Well, was there an, uh, when I looked this up originally? Is there another Mosaic Project album? Yeah, there was a sequel to this that came out a few okay. years after. Um, wasn't quite as well received as the initial one, but uh, it does exist. Okay, yeah, it was. It was only the year that because uh, I started listening to the wrong one. Oh yeah. And then I noticed, I noticed that the year on it was like 2014 or 16, and I thought, "Oops, I don't think this is the right thing." So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm glad you specified in the notes. Thank you. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd look like a real dummy right now. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're talking about two different records? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't done that I'd yet. Be like, I like the one. <laughs> I like the track. I like the track with Eminem on it, or whatever you know. <laughs> I'm just, make, I'm just, I'm making that up, of course. But uh, well, actually, that's kind of funny you say that because the last track on 2011 record is there is some some rapping going on. It's a little more of a hip hop vibe to it. That sounds pretty cool. It's called uh, "Sisters on the Rise." I would, uh, I, it kind of stands out, but in a good way. So tell me, Andy, what what? How does this relate to your journey in the jazz music in your you know project to get to know jazz music? I, I'm interested in that part too. I kind of touched on my tie-in with Chris Christopherson and country. What's this? How's this leading you? What? How does this fit in? Well, I've been trying to find. So I know I really fell in love with that um, that Peggy. Um, What's her name? Lee. Peggy Lee. <laughs> Terrible with names. Uh, Peggy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> that Peggy Lee record from, uh, I think I want to say it was in the mid-50s, Black Coffee. Yes. And I was trying to find a more modern version of, of something along those lines. And it, there's a lot of uh, lackluster jazz music has come out in the, in the 2000s, in my opinion. But this one really stood out as being something a little bit special. Yeah, well, you've been jumping more into the vocal jazz side of things. That, and initially, it was pretty much the straight-up instrumental. Right. So I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I've kind of been drawn to that, I guess. Um, I think, you know, looking for projects that are, are women-based, there's a lot a lot of that gets tied to vocals. This one was cool because she is a drummer. And then I was, you know, there are vocals, a lot of vocals on this record, but they aren't necessarily hers. Um but yeah, they kind of just go together, the women and the, and the singing. I think for the next one, I'm going to go back and maybe um, do something a little bit older from the 40s or 50s and something totally different, as I love to do. Cool. Yeah, looking forward to that. If we again uh, next month, maybe we'll jump in and uh, do another installment of our Essential Country and Jazz Project. Definitely, definitely. Something to look forward to, but uh, yep. go ahead. Well, just in the meantime, I'll be dancing to this. <laughs> yeah. we'll do some score dancing, man. You know, that's me playing banjo live, <laughs> just so you know. In the studio, yeah. Uh, yep, yep. Just on, I'm very talented. On demand, just ready that's to go. That's right. 
All right, so uh, team share, tune in next week to the show. We're going to do, uh, do something a little different. I know we do a lot of album recommendations, kind of uh, where, you, uh, where I take one and you take one. Next week, we're going to just focus on one record and uh, see how that goes. We're going to do the new uh, Tyler Childers record, uh, Purgatory, that came out a couple months ago. It's another kind of cool uh, country record, kind of in that outlaw space that we dig. So definitely uh, keep an eye out for, or keep an ear out for that. Should be arriving next week in your uh, podcatcher of choice. <laughs> podcatcher does it? You're talking about taking, giving, and receiving podcatchers. I'm really, I'm lost right now. I don't know if you're hitting on me or if you're talking about <laughs> the podcast. But anyway, Andy, how do the fine people interact with us? How do they listen to our content? Best way to interact with us is on Twitter at Album Nerds. Give us a follow, shoot us a message, tell us what you're listening to. Uh, best way to do some sh- the show some good is to leave a rating on iTunes. And uh, you can always check us out on our website, albumnerds.com. We're going to be redesigning it soon. Work on a new logo. Going to totally redo the website. It's going to be awesome. So keep an eye out for that in the near future as well. Very exciting stuff. Yeah, don't forget to, to go to the current albumnerds.com. That's albumnerds with an A. If you like this show, tell somebody about it. Send a link. Pass it on. Put it on Facebook. Put it on whatever, MySpace, wherever you want to go. Do it. <laughs> you can do it on Symbol. We, uh, we're on Symbol at Album Nerds. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. Bye-bye. See you next week. <laughs> Bye.